Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. My name is Holly, as Reverend Alice just said. I I'm from the area. I grew up in Surrey. I now live in Vancouver, and I'm a youth pastor, in fact, and I promised I would do this. I actually was Dayton Bracewell's youth pastor, so, and he's sitting here, so let's give it up for Dayton. Ooh, that was a youth throwback, hey? Let's give it up for That was just for you. That's a West Side youth throwback. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really love talking about Jesus because Jesus is amazing and I love talking about God's word and the ways that God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has revealed himself in the scriptures. And I truly believe that there is a word here for us today, um, for you and for me. And so I am excited to open up Esther 7 with you. Um, I'm going to do a recap of chapters 4 to 6 and then we'll jump into chapter 7. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read read chapter 7 to you. Okay. Living God, we thank you for being here today. We thank you that you, you love us because you are love, and we thank you that you are constantly speaking, that you do not withhold yourself from us, and that you are faithful, um, that you go with us wherever we are, and I thank you that you have revealed that in this text. And I pray that... Um, what is of you, Lord, would stick and would be planted into hearts and would take root and grow and be unto your glory, and whatever is not of you, that it would just fall away, be blown away like chaff and forgotten. Um, Use these feeble words, Lord, without you. I have nothing, and I am nothing, and so I pray that you would use it. Uh, We pray these things, Jesus, because you lived, died, and rose again for your glory and our joy. Amen. Okay, oh, and I said this last time, if at some point you feel like interacting with me, totally fine. I am cool with that. It's helpful, especially when I can't see you. Um, Okay, so chapter seven. If you have a Bible in book or app form, feel free to pull it up. I am going to be reading out of the CSB, but it'll also be on the screen. And here we go. The king and Haman came to feast with with Esther the queen. Once again, on the second day, while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request. And spare my people, this is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked the Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is the evil Haman. Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in anger and went from where they were drinking wine to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life, 
because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Would he actually violate the queen while I am in the house? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, There is a gallows, 75 feet tall, at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king said, Hang him on it. They hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, recap time. Because we can't just jump into this without talking about what happened before. In Esther 4, this plan to kill the Jews has been uncovered, and Mordecai, the queen, Esther's cousin, is talking to her through a messenger, and they're going back and forth. And she's like, if I go to the king, he's, he could very well kill me. I haven't been invited, and I haven't been invited for the last 30 days. I have no reason to go before him and live, except if he touches me with his golden scepter. And Mordecai responds in an act of faith. He says, deliverance will rise up for the Jews from somewhere else. But what if God has raised you up for such a time as this? So with those words, Esther gathers her courage and she invites the king and his trusty sidekick Haman to a feast. She sh king shows up for the feast or Esther shows up, however that works out. And the king indeed reaches out his golden scepter and spares her life. Phew. But he doesn't stop there. He also asks her, what would you like, even up to half of the kingdom? She has just gone from going, I could die if I do this, to you can have whatever you want at the hand of the king. The one request she makes is, would you and Haman come to another feast? She's biding her time. Well, Haman on cloud nine, because he just got to be the only one other than the king invited to this feast by the queen, is exiting, and on his way out the gate, he sees Mordecai sitting there. And Mordecai does not feel the need to get up, to bow down to him, or to even tremble. Now, Haman is mad. And this is what I preached on last week, that, Morde that Mordecai's actions made Haman so mad because Haman's, Haman's strength was in himself. His his confidence was in what he did, but Mordecai knew the king of heaven. Mordecai, as a Jew, knew the God who was faithful through the ages, who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and knew the only one worth bowing before is him. And so he sat not afraid of what the consequences would be. This is the same faithful Mordecai that believed that deliverance would rise up for the Jews from somewhere else if Esther did not take a stand. Well, Haman gets real mad, goes home, calls his friends over, calls his wife over, calls his mama and him, it's just everyone, and listen to how angry I am about Mordecai sitting. How dare he with all that I have that he just decides I don't have to get up. Haman has surrounded himself with what I consider to be trifling folk 
because they tell him, why don't you just kill Mordecai? Build this gallows and you can just kill him and then go on your merry way and go to this feast. And finally, we see Haman calm down. He's happy at that point. Well, in the next chapter, the king is awoken out of his sleep and feels the need to check some royal books to, talk, to see what's been happening. He sees that there's been an attempt made on his life and someone has saved his life. That the plot was uncovered and he was saved by someone. And who was he saved by? Well, he was saved by the man Mordecai, Esther's cousin and the one who has been faithful to trusting the living God. The king calls Haman in and is like, I need to give this man who saved me, who is the most brave person in all the land, I need to give him a robe. I need to give him the best of everything. Haman, remember, lost in his pride, thinks he's talking about him. Thinks the king is talking about him and he's like, yeah, give him this, give him that, give him whatever, because Haman thinks he's about to get everything he believes he deserves in his pride. Well, his pride would be his downfall because he now has to give Mordecai, who he has basically declared his mortal enemy, give him the best of everything. And Mordecai is lifted up and proclaimed a hero, and Haman, well, he's watching it all go down. And now it's time for the second feast that Esther requested. And again, now we're in Esther 7, and the king asks Esther again, what is it you want, even up to half my kingdom? Um, I really love that we sang the song we just sang, uh, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind, because Esther was afraid the king would kill her. She was so afraid to go before the king because she hadn't been called in, and yet God had gone before her and softened the king's heart to the point that he was ready to give Esther even half of the kingdom. And Esther was prepared. She was prepared for the request and she says, spare me and my people, spare my family. You see, friends, we do not go alone into what God has called us. Esther did have to be convinced to do this. And this was the role of Mordecai as her cousin, as her family, as one who knows the living God. He was ready to help her and remind her of the prior faithfulness of God and tell her, you can do this. And it could have cost her her life. Her reason for being afraid was sound, but she did it anyways and she saw the favor of God. God went before her and softened the king's heart. You see, she went from worries of death to half of the kingdom if she wished. This is the way God works. Esther was called for such a time as this. She was called to have courage for this purpose, and so she did not go alone. When she entered the king's chambers and asked for this, there was never a point where she was alone because God was with her. The same is true of us. We who know the Lord on this side of redemption's ark, on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us because that is the promise. As a seal and guarantee, we have the Holy Spirit. And so when we are called, we do not go alone. 
When the Lord calls us into something and we feel fear, we feel worry, we actually can be convinced that the God of angel armies has already gone before us. He hems us in from behind, as Psalm 139 says, and we do not need to fear because he has never left us. Well, the king has his queen in front of him, and she is begging for her life. He doesn't know that he has sentenced her to death because he was tricked. And he's horrified and asked, who planned this? Oh, snap. Haman <laughs> has gone from second most revered in all the land to his whole world crumbling around him. And Esther says, it is the evil adversary Haman. And Haman is terrified, straight shaking in his boots. The same man who expected Mordecai to tremble at him is now trembling at the family of Mordecai. Sweet poetic justice. You see, this illustrates our second point. It is God who raises people up and God who brings people down. Despite Haman's best laid plans, God's were bigger, and he is the sovereign God, so his plans will come to pass. Haman was scrambling for power. Whatever he could do to get his hands on as much power as he could consolidate. He devised a plan to kill the Jews, and now his own head is on the chopping block. He is about to be killed. Esther and Mordecai never looked for power. Their, their call, their plan is simply this. Be faithful to what God has put us in place to do. Accomplish the purposes of God. They looked to be faithful where they were. And what did that result in? Mordecai saved the life of the king and was honored for it. Esther, she spoke with courage where God had taken her. This is the contrast between them. When the people of God are faithful to the things that God has called them to, the Lord is the one who raises them up. When we seek our own power, we don't know if we're going against the plans of God. And he is the one who raises up and who takes down. And that is a fearful place to be because no one gets in the way of the living God. So Haman planned to see Mordecai killed, and instead he sees Mordecai lifted up and praised. And then he is trembling and is like, okay, I now no longer have power. I no longer have any of my plans that I had, and so now I need to figure out how to save my own life. I'll go beg for my life. No pride left. That pride that he's, he had put so much faith in, that's long gone. He's like, I just got to live at this point. And so he goes over to Esther. He trips or something. He starts to fall on Queen Esther. And the king walks in at this moment because Haman is having the worst day ever. And he, well, the king gets real mad. He was already mad, so he went for a walk in the garden. He comes back in. You'd think maybe a little calmer and instead gets even madder because now it looks like Haman's trying to attack the queen. And it already sounds like he's trying to kill her, so this is very bad. At that point, 
it's over for Haman. It's done. Uh, he, his face is covered. I imagine one of those like black hoods that when you get kidnapped, you know the ones I'm talking about? That's kind of how I imagine it going down. Black hood over his head and he's carried away. And the king's anger subsided. Interestingly, in chapter 5, when Haman imagines the death of Mordecai and constructs those gallows and um, is like imagining, okay, this is my plan. I'm going to say to the king, Mordecai should die, and then he's going to die, and then I'm going to go to that feast. Um, the Bible tells us that he calms down from his rage at that point. And now, it's seemingly a short time later, everything has changed. And the same gallows that pleased him to construct to kill Mordecai are now being used for his own death. And not only that, are actually being used to make the king happy. And not at the death of Mordecai, but at the death of Haman himself, who has been an architect of death. You see, God is faithful to his people. God never forgets his people. Again, I also love the other song we did. Worship team, y'all killed it. Y'all, can we just, one more time, I know we've already, but they just, song choice, everything. Really, well done, well done. Um, I just, when you see the Holy Spirit just line things up, it's amazing. Uh, and so singing sovereign over us, your plans are still to prosper. You have what? You have not forgotten us. God never forgets his people. His people were sentenced to death, and God raised someone up to save them. And God does not just raise someone up to save them. He does not just leave them to not die. He actually completes the justice and puts to death the one who sought to kill his people. God does not leave things undone, amen? You see, Haman ends up paying for his crimes. No one can stand in God's way. And God is a faithful God who will always bring someone up to save him, his people. And we, again, on this side of redemption's arc, can look and see how God raised someone up to save his people. He gave his own son. This is our story, too. We can look at the faithfulness of God to save us from our lowly state. As sinners against him, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God raised up his own son to die in our place. But again, God does not leave things undone because he is a faithful God and he raised Jesus back up again and Jesus rose again and now he lives forevermore. And this is the faithfulness that we too, as the people of God, can remember. You see, we live in a world of injustice. We live in a world where it seems like justice is slow and things are hard and we are facing pandemics and we are facing climate change and we are facing, you know, all of this, all these inequities and it can seem like nothing good is happening, but our God is always working. He is always working and he is always faithful and we know that because Jesus died and because he rose again and he has promised us he will return, that this is not the end of the story because God is faithful to his people. And God is raising people up. He is raising people up to be ambassadors of this kingdom that is coming to be living as 
the kingdom, that will be, the, that will be reality one day. There will be a day when all we see is perfect justice. All we see is harmony. All we see is shalom, the world as God intended it, with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation raising up the name of the Lamb who was slain, singing, worthy are you because you were slain. And for those of us in Christ, those of us who have trusted Christ for our salvation, we will be there and we will worship together. And that is the promise for us, friends. And so, is God raising you up? That is my question for you. Is God raising you up to live as one of that day, to speak out against the injustices of the world, to speak out against the ways the world says we are to be living because you know the faithfulness of the God who has called you? because you know God is the one who raises people up, and because you know that God is faithful to his people, now and forevermore. Let me pray. Triune God, we thank you because you are faithful, faithful always, faithful to complete the work that you start, that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, and thank you for the promise that the day of Christ Jesus is coming. And that day will be a day of reckoning, but, Lord, you are coming to restore all things. I pray that as we go out from here, we would, we would seek to know you and your call on our lives, that we would be willing to be raised up, for your purposes, whatever that looks like, and that we would trust that you go with us into those places. You have not left us alone. You've sent us your Holy Spirit, and so Holy Spirit, I just pray for you to be the comforter, the guide, the shield, the, the counselor, all of the things that you have promised to be, Spirit of Truth. I pray that over my friends here, and I pray that they would be sent onto this campus, into the city of Langley, into British Columbia, into Canada, into the ends of the earth as your people. In your name we pray, Jesus, for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel. Until next time, much love.